So we want to look at, at God's perspective on life and death just in the life of one man, and that's, that's Stephen, uh, the first martyr that we really know of in the church. And we're going to start in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now at this time, <clears throat> while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native, Jew, native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of the of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. <clears throat> so there was some trouble happening in the church. Happens to all churches. So if you're ever in a church and they don't have any trouble, um, I guess you 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 you're just stay there. It's an amazing place. All churches have trouble. But you don't have to leave just because churches have trouble. You just work it out. And, and, uh, and they had a big problem because uh, they, they, weren't, they, weren't, uh, <clears throat> they weren't serving the widows the food properly. I mean, this is a big thing when you neglect to serve food to widows. And so the, the 12 apostles said, look, you know, we can't be burdened with all of this. We've got so many other things going on. Let's choose 12 men. And they said, here are the requirements. They had to have a good reputation. They had to be full of the Spirit. And they had to have wisdom. So these are pretty high requirements. And so they chose these men. And the only one of whom it writes much about their character is Stephen, the first one. He says, and they, they listed him first. And generally in the Bible, when you see, when you see a list the order in that list often has implications. And Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, it says. So he had to have the three requirements that were spoken of, full of the Spirit, he had to have wisdom and a good reputation. And here it was, he said he was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So in addition to the Holy Spirit and those other two requirements, he also had faith. So he had all this going for him. And, and uh, they thought they'd, they'd set these seven men just to make sure everybody's properly served. But Stephen didn't stop there. Stephen was one of these people that felt that, that uh, yeah, there's the apostles and they're busy doing things. But, you know, the, <clears throat> the, the lay people can also be about doing things. You know, it's not just up to the paid people to do things or the, uh, the apostles. So Stephen, <clears throat> it says in verse 8, Stephen, full of grace and power. So again, now, now he's listed in addition to these other things, he had Grace, full of grace, and power. This is a powerful man. So if you think of the list, I mean, how many things does it say about you in particular in the Bible? I bet nothing, right? So it lists nothing about us. But of Stephen, it's going on and on, listing stuff about this guy. So he's quite a guy. <clears throat> and, the, and the Bible doesn't give compliments uh, uh, just, just, just for, for, uh, for the fun of it. It means something here. <clears throat> Every word in the scripture has a meaning. <clears throat> and it says he was performing great wonders and signs among the people. So now here's more. There were great wonders being done and signs among the people. So it wasn't just the apostles that were doing this, 
<coughs> in the in the twelve. It was this guy, Stephen, who was chosen to oversee the waiting on tables. Great signs, great, great uh, uh, wonders and signs were being done among the people through him. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from, some from Cilicia and Asia, rose and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So remember it listed that he had to have wisdom, he had to be full of the Holy Spirit, and here it says they couldn't deal with it. So these men started challenging him from the synagogue, and they thought, oh, you know, this, this guy who, you know, preaches Jesus, he'd be a pushover. We'll just, we'll just, you know, confront him and we'll, we'll deflate all his arguments. And they just couldn't deal with him. So not only did he have power, he could really deal with arguments that were put before him so powerfully. And it says, then they secretly induced men saying, we have heard him speak blasphemous words about Moses and against God, against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came up and they dragged him away. So they couldn't deal with the arguments that he was presenting to them. So they put false accusations, much like they did with Jesus. In fact, some of the accusations are very similar. uh, uh, In fact, one of the accusations down in verse 13 is this man incessantly speaks against the holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. As far as destroying this place, that's exactly the same charge that they put against Jesus. Because Jesus had said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. He was speaking about the temple of his body. And so they bring the same charge that they brought against Jesus. And so here they've crowded around, they dragged him in front of this council. So it wasn't like, would you come with us to the council today? No, he was, you know, they grabbed the guy and they're dragging. And so he's, this would normally fluster anybody. I mean, come on, you have to close. And then they're dragging him to this thing. And then it says in verse 15, and fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. What does that mean? I was reading it and I thought, what does that mean? Here he is. They've dragged him there. They've lied and put false accusations. Have you ever been falsely accused? You know it's, it's how painful that is. You just want to shout out and say, you're lying. This person's lying about me. So there's these false accusations. They've manhandled him. And now they're fixing their gaze on him. You know, just staring at the guy. And all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. What does an angel look like? What does it mean they saw his face like an angel or an angelic messenger? That's how they saw his face. And so in the midst of all this attack, the man remains composed. And he has the face of an angel. He's not there to, to just lash out back at them. He just has the face of an angel. Very interesting the way the Lord can keep a person composed. And then in, verse, in chapter 7, the high priest said, Are these things so? Now this is a big deal to be brought before the council, the Sanhedrin, and the high priest is talking to you. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty important guy. He doesn't just talk to most people. 
You know, he just talks to his, his cabinet. He's talking to him and he says, are these things so? And he said, hear me, brethren and fathers. Again, he shows respect, brethren and fathers. You know, when I read this, it, it makes me chuckle a little bit. You know, people, you know, our, our Catholic brothers and sisters call their priests father. And then, and then, and then my, my evangelical friends say, you know, Jesus said, don't call any man father. And it, like here in the Bible, this guy calls people fathers. <laughs> so, you know, anyway, you get, you, you get a little philosophy on something and then you read the scriptures and it blows everything up. Anyway, so he says, brethren and fathers, and then he goes on. And he goes into a long discourse recounting all sorts of things through the history of, of, the, of uh, the people of Israel. Long, lots and lots of verses, of over 50 verses of just, just material. And if you read this very carefully, he makes a few mistakes. <clears throat> he makes a few mistakes on, on, on places. And we know that because we can read the Old Testament. You go, oh, he's made a mistake. That can't be the Bible. No, that's actually the Bible because it says this is what he said to them. Now, this man has been manhandled. He's been falsely accused. You try to go through a whole discourse of the children of Israel and get every name and place right. He doesn't get it all right, but that tells us all the more that they're doing exactly what they said. They're quoting the man. I don't know if you've ever done much public speaking. But a lot of times you mix stuff up when you're speaking in public. You just mix stuff up. It's, it's natural. And people go, well, you said this. And, All right, I'm sorry. <clears throat> you know, I was speaking publicly. You know, things are just going and it happens. This man was going 50, over 50 verses of just data. He messed up a few little cities. That testifies that the scriptures are actually accurate. Meaning that they didn't change it and say, oh, well, he said this, but we know it's that way. Let's change it back. No, they recorded it just as he said it. You see what I mean? So when you have a discourse like this, it's great authenticity for the Word of God. But anyway, so he really confronts them. And they were really frustrated because he said, you know, you guys, you just got these stiff necks and and you're not yielding to to the Spirit. It says in verse 58, when they had driven him out of the city. So they... That didn't mean that they got a limousine and they put him in the back of the limousine and they drove him out of the city. <clears throat> no, that means that, you know, driving him, pushing him out of the city. <clears throat> they then began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Here is this young man with all this talent, all this potential. He knows how to wait on a table and he knows how to deal with conflict when people are coming with religious arguments. He knows how to pray for people and demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit in signs and wonders. And then you think about this. Lord, wouldn't you want this guy to be alive? He'd be kind of good for starting the early church. You know, you need all the good people you can get here, Lord. Why let him die? You know, let somebody die who's not that important. I mean, this is, this guy's got potential. Why do people with this enormous potential die? 
Why does this happen? Why does the Lord allow this to happen? And all the guy was doing was going around blessing people and doing all these miracles and good things. And it made these other people in the synagogue jealous. And then all he did was stick up for the faith exactly what he's supposed to do. He did everything he's supposed to do. And when they came vehemently against him and manhandled him, he just had the face of an angel. He did everything right. But the guy dies. Why, why, why do you let him die, Lord? I mean, other people might be expendable, but that guy? And you see how amazing he was, even to the point of his death. His last words were, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Exactly what Jesus said. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, this guy was just tremendous, tremendous young man. So we see all this that happens here. <clears throat> and then in verse, <clears throat> then in, in chapter 8. So they had laid the, the, their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul has to watch the coats. So I suppose when you're stoning somebody, you've got to take your cloak off. And you don't want somebody to steal your cloak while you're busy stoning somebody. So you put it in charge of somebody to watch it. I guess that's what you do. <clears throat> Verse 1 of chapter 8. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered all throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So remember what Jesus told them. He told them, you're to go in Jerusalem... Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. They are just very comfortably in Jerusalem, just sharing amongst each other and blessing one another. And the Lord uses this to send them out. The Lord uses this to send them out. They were getting too comfortable. And the Lord shakes things up a little bit. And that's what happens in life. The Lord allows things to get shaken up to cause us to do all the more. We get comfortable in our little ways and he shakes things up. And he sent them out to Judea. <clears throat> now remember, right around Jerusalem is Judea. They hadn't even gone to Judea. I mean, they were in Houston. They didn't even go to Bel Air. It was just right there. I'm, I'm talking to you. That, that's the distance. I mean, Judea is just all around Jerusalem. And they wouldn't leave Jerusalem. <clears throat> they were very happy and comfortable. <clears throat> they wouldn't even go outside their own little community. And then he brought them up to, to Samaria a little bit further. And so the, so the people started going. And then in verse 4 of chapter 8, Then therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip, remember Philip we had seen in that list of men. He went, he went down to the city of Samaria and he began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs that he was performing. So he was started performing signs. So Philip goes out and he goes to Samaria. So these people start going out to all these different places. And then in, in verse 28 of chapter 8, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he's up in Samaria. Then he's to go south toward Gaza and, and to a desert road. And he ends up sharing with an Ethiopian who gets saved, who's now going to take the word back to North Africa. 
And so this disruption and this loss of life ends up in these people going all over the place. And then, and then Philip ends up going and, and uh, he, he, then he goes from there up to uh, Caesarea by, by the Mediterranean. And, and, uh, and that's where we find him in, in, uh, uh, sometime later. So then if we look in Acts chapter 9. Now Saul, still breathing in his threats, in verse 1, and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that he, if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul really gets on fire. This is eventually going to be the Apostle Paul. But Saul gets on, gets on fire, not for the Lord, but for the enemy. And he's on his way to Damascus. And... Uh, uh, so this is, this is near Ahmad's home. He's on his way over there. <clears throat> but to bring the Jews back who are talking about Jesus, he wants to bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's going up there, and en route to there, he gets saved. The Lord appears to him, and he gets saved. So you start seeing one piece after another that occurs due to the loss of life that occurred. Uh, uh, that occurred because of, of Stephen being killed. And this is underscored then in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, verse 18. Acts chapter 11, <clears throat> verse 18 or 19. Um, it says, So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word of God to no one except to the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who went, who came to Antioch and began speaking to Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. So, it says very specifically, remember, every word in the Bible has a meaning. It says specifically it was because of the persecution that arose because of this man Stephen's death. Because of that persecution in Acts chapter, that started in Acts chapter 6, his, his death was in the end of Acts chapter 7. Now in Acts chapter 11, because of that persecution way back there, there's people going all over the world now and preaching the gospel. Uh, Jews from North Africa, from Cyrene, are going to Antioch, which is, which is north of, of Israel. They're going to Antioch, <clears throat> and they're going, they're, they're, they're going into these places in Asia Minor, what we would call Asia Minor. So they're going all over because of the death of this man. We don't see the future. God does. We don't understand why young people with great potential Potential for the kingdom of God. Die. We don't understand what God is, is orchestrating. We have no idea. And we go questioning and doubting and complaining about this. God knows what He's doing. He looks at death very differently. In fact, it says when... It doesn't say, and Stephen was stoned and he died. It says, and Stephen was stoned and he fell asleep. In the New Testament, falling asleep means death of the believer. Remember, Lazarus has fallen asleep, Jesus said. And they say, oh, if he's fallen asleep, he'll wake up. He says, no. Look, the guy's died. Remember, he says of the little girl, he says, she's not dead. She's just asleep. Death of the believer is always talked about as falling asleep because Jesus does not view this as a permanent state. This is his perspective on death. 
In the New Testament, it's spoken of a falling asleep. And so what happens is they hear about these believers going up to Antioch, which ends up becoming Paul's home church. Paul got saved in the last chapter and he's witnessing and he ends up in the last couple of chapters and he's witnessing to the Gentiles. Peter goes and he witnesses to a bunch of Gentiles. And so when, when Barnabas is in Antioch, he sees these Gentiles getting saved. So what does he do? He goes to find this guy, Paul, formerly Saul, who is great at witnessing to the Gentiles. It says in verse 23, in, 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 uh, in, in verse 22, Then the news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. <clears throat> For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So Barnabas is sent from Jerusalem to Antioch to see what's going on. And he sees all these Gentiles coming to the Lord. So I come from a Jewish background and people say to me, Wow, you know, this is amazing. You're, you're Jewish and, and you're, you, you, you've accepted Jesus. This is amazing. And I'm like, what's amazing about it? Everybody was Jewish who was coming to Jesus. The thing that amazed them is that any Gentiles came. I'm amazed that you are Christians. Why would you want to become Christians? You have no basis on which to build this from the Old Testament. The amazing thing is the Gentiles are coming to the Lord. That's what amazed them. And, and he goes there and he sees this. He says, let me get hold of this guy, Paul, formerly Saul, because he has this ministry to them. Before that, he wasn't accepted by the church. I mean, they, they didn't trust the guy. Stephen gets taken and then all these people go out and God raises up. This man who was holding the coats during the stoning, he raises him up to take his place. When Nabil Qureshi passed away, I had many people sending me messages that they are now feel driven to learn about Islam in order to take up this mantle that Nabil has left. We don't know what the future holds, how God, how God does things. I want to I want to turn to John chapter 11. Look at Jesus's perspective. Jesus's perspective on all of this. John chapter 11 verse 25. John 11:25. Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And whoever believes in me will never die." Think about that when you lose a loved one. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the embodiment of the resurrection. I am the embodiment of life, Jesus says. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, 
I'm quoting. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus asks the question, do you believe this? And he who lives and believes in me will never die. Don't you understand? He's saying, Stephen lives. Stephen lives. Stephen lives though he is asleep. Because of him, because of his death, the church has exploded all over. Boy, are they going to be sorry, those those uh, uh, folks that drove them out of Jerusalem. Big, big mistake. It reminds me of, of China in the 1950s when God, when, when, when uh, 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 the communists drove out all Christianity. And God's like saying, okay, I'll get you back. I mean, now China is just exploding with Christians. I find the easiest people to share with are the Chinese. I mean, I just, I talked for five minutes to a Chinese student. Five minutes, really, you give me five minutes with them and I'll see them praying to receive the Lord. It is so easy for the Chinese. You're going to drive me out of the country? Okay, I'll get you back. I mean, the Chinese just exploding. I mean, you go ahead and share with a Jew. They got all sorts of problems about Jesus, da 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 da. Chinese have no problem with Jesus. You know, I talk about the resurrection. Oh, okay. I'm okay with that. Just like that. God has so prepared the hearts and so done this. You try to drive Him out, He'll get you back. I mean, He'll just explode in that place. He views death very differently than we do. He says that if they're in the Lord, they are merely sleeping. And if in service to me, their life has been given, and you think of a life cut short, he says, oh, these things are not in vain. It is not like the world looks at this. Not at all. He says, whoever believes in me, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Just as it says of Abel, who was killed by his brother Cain, Though he is dead, he still speaks. God says, his blood is crying out to me. God's not messing around. He says, his blood is crying out to me. Though he is dead, the New Testament says, he still speaks. Though Stephen is dead, this young man with all this potential, willing to wait on tables, willing to defend the faith, willing to pray for people and see signs and wonders be done able to give an entire discourse when people are shooting arrows at them with their eyes after manhandling him and pushing him around and driving him out of the city and kicking him as he's going out of the city. After all this, he gives this huge testimony. And we think, wow, what a precious life. Why would you let this guy die? Oh, don't you understand? Because if he goes to sleep, then this church is going to explode and they're going to do what I told them to do. To get out of their little comfortable area and to go be about my work. God's perspective on life, what it means to live, is service to Him. What it means to live is service to Him. The enemy in in Matthew chapter 4 
came. Satan came and he offered Jesus everything. He brought him up to a high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, I'll give you all this if, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and you shall serve him only. Jesus knew there was no fulfillment in all of those things that could have been given to him. There's no fulfillment in that. The people of the world chase that sort of thing. He said, you will be fulfilled with only two things. The worship of God and the service of Him. You worship the Lord your God. This is in Matthew 4.10 approximately. You worship the Lord your God and you serve Him only. Only in worship and in service will you be fulfilled. All the things of the world will never bring you fulfillment. You want fulfillment? It is in the worship of God and the service of Him. And this is why He says that everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He who lives and believes in me will live even if he dies. This is how we are used. In service of him. You want to live? You want to be fulfilled? You think, oh, well, you know, when, I'm a, when I get my, my physician's degree, then, you know, then I'm a doctor and everything. Then I'll really be fulfilled. Well, how come there's so many miserable and unhappy physicians in the world? I mean, the degree itself doesn't, doesn't do it. You want to be fulfilled. It is through the worship of God. Learn to worship Him. And through the service of Him, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And death doesn't take us down. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We conquer. We conquer. God's view of life and God's view of death are antithetical to the world's view. Let's pray. Abba, I thank and I praise you for the truth of your word. I thank you, Lord, that you view life so differently that it is only captured in the worship and the service of you. And that you view death so differently that anyone who lives and believes in you shall live even if he dies And if anyone believes in you, he shall never die. Lord, thank you that even when one is dead, they still speak if they've lived for you. Father, I pray for these young people especially, that you get a hold of their hearts, that they would learn to serve you and learn to worship you. And that they would understand life from your perspective and what death is in your perspective, and what it means to sleep, and what it means to be able to speak even after they've slept. Father, get hold of their hearts. May they serve you. And Lord, I pray that you keep them from the evil one, as Jesus prayed for the disciples. Keep these from the evil one, I pray. And let them take hold of your word, For your word is truth. And I commit them to you. For the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen.